Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to the Renaissance English History Podcast, a part of the Agora Podcast Network. My name is Heather Tesco. I'm your host, and I'm a storyteller who makes history accessible because I believe it's a pathway to understanding who we are, our place in the universe, and being much more deeply connected with our own humanity. So this is episode 127, and this is an interview with Michael Ratty. I want to tell you who Michael Ratty is. He is a composer, a lyricist, a vocal director, a general all-around musical impresario genius. And he first came to my attention back in January. He messaged me about a new musical that he was doing called The King's Legacy, and it's about Elizabeth I. And I have to tell you, I was a theater nerd growing up. And I would belt out Andrew Lloyd Webber musicals all the time. Um, I had, you know, all the Andrew Lloyd Webber greatest hits, all that kind of stuff. Um, that was just kind of my, my shtick in high school and college. So there is very little that I love in the world more than Tudor history. And there's also very little that I love in the world more than musicals. So combining the two is just perfect and makes me really, really excited. So I immediately wrote back to him and said, how can I help you publicize this? And also, can you come to TudorCon? And so he's going to be at TudorCon. So he's going to be there on the Saturday. Well, he's going to be there the whole event, I think. But he's performing on the Saturday evening. He's bringing some of the singers down and we're going to have live music from The King's Legacy. So we're going to have a little musical evening out um, on the Saturday night. And that's part of TudorCon. So over the next couple of episodes, I'm going to intersperse some interviews with TudorCon speakers for a couple of reasons. First, for those of you who are coming to TudorCon, I want to give you a taste of the speakers that you're going to see and, you know, a little background and just kind of get you generally hyped up and excited. For those of you who aren't yet signed up to come to TudorCon, well, I want you to come to TudorCon. So I want you to see what you're going to be missing if you don't come, right? So there are a couple of different ways you can participate. You can come live in person. It is October 18th to 20th in Lancaster, Pennsylvania at a private facility, a winery in a restored 1790s barn. It's beautiful next to the Pennsylvania Renaissance Fair. And it's three days. Well, starts Friday afternoon, Friday evening with a welcoming party. There's going to be a, a costume party. You don't have to come in costume. I'm not going to be in costume, but a lot of people are. And there's going to be period music and entertainment. Um, period games. It's going to be super fun. Then on Saturday, we start with the talks. We start first thing in the morning with talks. We break for a catered lunch that's included. And there'll be book signings, there'll be demonstrations of kind of period fiber arts, all that kind of stuff. And that is Saturday. Saturday, we go until about five o'clock in the afternoon. And then we'll go into town, into downtown Lancaster uh, to see the King's Legacy, the music from the King's Legacy. And then we'll have dinner together on our own or 
as a group, however we want to do that. Then Sunday, we come back for talks at 10 o'clock in the morning. We have talks all morning, and then we break for a medieval feast. And that is in the afternoon. That'll be kind of a, a late lunch, kind of 1.30, 2 o'clock. And then after our feast and the feast, we'll have private entertainment from the Renaissance Fair. It's going to be super fun. And then we get to go to the Renaissance Fair as well. And the Renaissance Fair is open until 8 o'clock that evening. So I think the final joust is at 6 or 6.30. So we'll have plenty of time to go hang out at the Renaissance Fair and fill up our camera with photos and selfies and everything from all of our amazing weekend with 120 of our best tutor friends. So if you can come in person, please do that. We are hoping that this will be a huge success and it's going to be amazing to be around all of these other tutor enthusiasts. You know, if you're one of those people where when you start talking about tutor history, people kind of roll their eyes. This is for you because you're going to be able to be with 120 other tutor enthusiasts, just like you and meet some of your favorite authors and get your books signed, all that kind of stuff. And if you truly can't come to Pennsylvania, we actually have people coming from England and we have people coming over from different places. But if you really can't come, we have a digital ticket. So you can get a digital ticket and then you can attend virtually all weekend long. So you can find out more about all of that at englandcast.com slash tutorcon2019. englandcast.com slash tutorcon2019. We hope it will be a big success and then we can do it every year because how amazing would that be? And the only way that it's going to be a big success is if you come because it's not going to be a success if nobody comes, right? So if you're on the fence, if you're thinking about it, if you have questions, if you want to know more information, please email me, please get in touch with me. And I'm so happy to give you a call or to talk about um, more TutorCon questions you might have. So let me introduce Michael Ratty to you. Michael Ratty is a composer, lyricist, librettist, performer, vocal coach, and musical director currently residing in New York City. He graduated with a B in theater and English, and he recently completed the BMI Musical Theater Writing Workshop as a lyricist and maintains collaborations he formed within the program. So he's written three full musical theater pieces, including The King's Legacy, and he continues to collaborate on other projects as well, including a musical adaptation of The Legend of Sleepy Hollow uh, and a family-oriented musical comedy set in a world of competitive baton twirling. Michael is in his eighth year as a vocal instructor, accompanist, and musical director at From Stage to Screen Studio in Huntington, New York on Long Island, where he teaches private voice students. So Michael Ratty, I am so excited that he is going to be here, and I'm so excited to chat with him, with him and introduce you all to this amazing person and his amazing musical. All I hear every day and free patience, you and more, the Pope, the Queen, and re patience, ears and ears I wait. Now I will have my Just tell me to start with a little bit about what the musical is about, because you kind of follow these women and well, it's, I'll let you talk. 
So (laughs) tell me what it's about. Sure. Uh, The King's Legacy is mostly the story of Anne Boleyn and her journey for control of her own life in the midst of court, which is, as we all know, heavily patriarchal. And it's a period of time where women really had no control of their own lives. Mm -hmm. And of course, at the same time, Henry is on his quest to obtain a male heir. And we all know how that turns out. Right. So the, the focus of this story is mostly on Anne. However, since the true legacy of Henry was Queen Elizabeth I, there is a secondary storyline where we get to see Elizabeth growing up as she learns from uh, the later queens. They, each of the queens has their own scene as we go through. And we also see how Anne Boleyn affected Elizabeth. Mm. Um, we uh, use a device, a theatrical device in the show, with a letter that Anne left for Elizabeth. And of course, that letter does not exist. Right. But uh, I think it's pretty clear that Anne was a huge influence on Elizabeth. We all uh, have heard the story of her carrying around the picture of Anne throughout her life. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to make sure that that influence from the other women was crystal clear. Yeah. Because I think that is the beauty of the story and why it's so important and why it should be told from their point of view and not Henry's. Yeah. And um, on your website, you know, and you talk about it, how um, the election kind of influenced wanting to share this story and the parallels you saw between like Hillary Clinton and Anne Boleyn. And um, I always kind of hesitate a little bit about putting these modern labels like feminism and modern constructs on, on people who have, would have had no reference point for them. Um, But can you tell me a little bit about kind of just what inspired this story and, uh, and how you, how does a Broadway person get into (laughs) Tudor stuff here? So share with me a little bit about kind of how you became interested in this and then sort of what the, what the inspiration I suppose for telling the story was. Okay, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Well, honestly, I was only introduced to the story in high school, my sister had studied abroad in England, and when she came back, she brought me that uh, horrible histories book, The Terrible Tutors, right. and, <laughs> which I know a lot of people read, and that's how they got introduced to the tutors when they were young. And I just thought that the, the Henry story was very interesting. I was like, who's this Anne Boleyn character? She sounds absolutely fascinating. But yeah. I didn't, like, dive into it yet at that point. Okay. I still... Uh, I was vaguely interested, and when I saw things I had to relate to the tutors, of course I read them or I watched them. But then uh, throughout college, I was starting to get into writing musical theater. I've always been a performer, and I had tried my hand at a couple of things. And then my girlfriend at the time, she uh, lent me The Other Boleyn Girl. Mm. And so I read it, and I was like, you know, okay. Anne Boleyn is such a fascinating human. (laughs) Someone needs to write a musical about her. She was like, well, why don't you try? Okay, great. <laughs> so that's when I just like dove in headfirst into all the research, reading all these books, trying to uh, see as much as I could, hear as much as I could. And I love the story so much. And I think historically speaking, women get the short shrift in general because... Right. 
the history is mostly written by men and about the men. Mm-hmm. But what about the importance of her journey and her story and how that affected the entirety of history in Western Europe? So. about just how you set that to music because the music itself and people can listen this some of the songs are on are on the internet and you have like a, a couple of them on YouTube that I was listening to and you have like some flavor of early music but there's still their their theater it's it's Broadway music so how did you yeah. kind of incorporate or how were you able to bring the story what am I trying to get at? Like bringing the essence of this to, to more modern kind of music and modern versions of storytelling. Oh, that's a good question. Um, well, I think that theater music has its own sound in general. Mm-hmm. So that is helpful in a lot of ways, because as soon as you sit down into a theater, you know, you're going to see a musical unless it is something that is very specifically pop or rock or says, Hey, we're going to do this like Hamilton goes straight into pop and rap. Um, Unless you're going into something where you know that's the case, I think there's a general sound to theater music that is out of time and out of place. Mm -hmm. And that can be super helpful. It kind of transports you somewhere else. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I definitely wanted to include flavors from the time period. So, for instance, for the very first draft of this show, I decided, you know what, I'm going to write a three-part madrigal, because that just seems correct. Yeah. Something that this show could include and should include. Mm -hmm. And that madrigal is still there, still in the show now. Mm -hmm. And uh, I I wanted to include some of Henry's music as well. So the show has some of Pastime with Good Company at the beginning. Okay. Throughout the, the show, most of it is very musical theater but with a flavor of the time period there's a dance sequence we do the pageant of course <laughs> i tried to keep a sound of something that might be heard at court even if it's not completely within the time period I love this mixture. I love mixing stuff like this because people sometimes have this in their head, like history is for this kind of person or history, you know, is for, is for that. These kind of people learn history. So I guess what kind of, what do you think normal people who aren't history nerds can take away from, from Henry's story, from Anne's story, because that's what you're focusing on from Elizabeth and from these people 
what is the ultimate legacy, I suppose? So there is a common thing that we talk about in musical theater. Well, two things here. The first is that ultimately it comes down to, do you have a good story? And I think where this one is concerned, there's no doubt that this is a great story. Uh, It's been told so many times because it's such a great story. Mm -hmm. But then the other thing that we often look for when we're deciding what to write about is a great irony. When you have someone who wants something so badly and they very definitively don't get it. Mm. So when it comes to both Henry and Anne, that is very clear. Henry wants that son to be his heir. And even though he doesn't know, because he passed away, but uh, it was Elizabeth who became the heir that really he had wanted the entire time. Uh For Anne, this idea that she has no control over her life as she uh, works her way through court and she makes her way up to being queen and looks like everything's going to go swimmingly until, well, then it doesn't. I think those, those sorts of no, you can't do this, or the world is against you for some reason, these obstacles. Overcoming that is very universal. Mm-hmm. So I don't, I don't know that people who don't know the history would walk in with much uh, background knowledge, but I think the story itself is uh, something that everyone can relate to. Yeah. And what was your, what was your um, kind of research what was your research process like? And how long did it take you to write all of this? Tell me a little bit about just the, the process. <laughs> well, this one, uh, this one was difficult. I think the hardest thing was finding a narrative structure for this show because it's so much information over such a lengthy period of time. Mm-hmm. And so for a lot of musicals, you go through a couple of drafts and then you find your big narrative structure. For this show, I've been working on it for over six years, and I don't think I found a narrative structure that really worked for the piece until about 2016. And that's what I'm using currently, and that's where we're really following Anne's storyline in the the majority of the show. And then we kind of take these sidebars off into Elizabeth's storyline. For the longest time, that was the hardest thing. There are six queens, and it takes place over... 30 some years, especially if you're including Elizabeth's life in there. Yeah. So that took a lot of time and a lot of effort. I am thrilled with where it is. And I've also written so many songs for it over the years. And many of them are on the cutting room floor now. (laughs) That's fun of writing musical theater. It's interesting, I suppose, to hear about um, to hear about a musical that is celebrating women and celebrating feminism. For lack, I don't know the Tudor version of the word feminism. I guess there would be the 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 woman question that was going on the quote, la quelle de femme that was the French 
philosophy of yeah. questioning the role of women at that time. So we'll go with that. Um, but you know, having, having that told from a man's perspective. So I guess I wanted, I want to ask you like, what did you learn about women? <laughs> what did you learn about feminism? Kind of how were you affected by this story? Personally? I will say it wasn't too hard for me to dive into the female mindset. I grew up in a family where uh, my, I have my mom and my two sisters. I also have my dad, but the <laughs> little <laughs> sidebar here, my sisters are world champion baton twirlers. And oh, wow. yeah. And my mother, uh, she taught baton twirling for so many years, both privately in large cores. And she's a United States judge for the NBTA. So wow. I grew up surrounded by women my entire life constantly spending my weekends going to competitions and most of the people I was around or uh, friends with at the time were women so uh, I think that helped me in a lot of ways of course that's not the same as being a woman or having a woman's experience so there was a lot of me talking with people who have been uh, who have felt being put down or why uh, being a woman is an extra obstacle and what that means for both daily life, for career. And I think over the past, what, three, four years, this explosion of this topic in the public forum has been really helpful as well. But uh, then I was trying to focus a lot of my research specifically on the women when looking back at the history. And this is what gets talked about all the time is this is a woman's place and here's what she had to work with. And this is what she could do, what she couldn't do. And that's why this storyline is remarkable because she did this and that was crazy. No one was doing that at that time. And uh, yeah, I, I think I just attempted to focus the most on the Queens and on Elizabeth because I think their stories are most interesting. It's interesting because I think there's a, a couple of different storylines around Anne, and it's that debate of whether or not she really was what we would call a feminist. Um, because on one hand, it does seem like she doesn't have a lot of, of agency, for lack of a better word. But mm-hmm. at the same time, she she gets a lot of what she wants, you know? And I sometimes think that putting her in this box of the the fragile woman who couldn't who who couldn't ultimately you know who who was the the pawn of her family and mm-hmm. who you know had didn't have any kind of ability to to run her life puts her in this box of really kind of taking away from what from what she did have which was mm-hmm. quite a lot and i guess i wonder there's there's sort of this dichotomy this push and pull with Anne because on one hand she she ultimately couldn't bear a son and that was a that was probably Henry's fault um we people could argue that um but that's just a quirk of biology but at the same time she was able to do so much and she was able to become queen and she was able to you know get in there when it was very very rare for women to have done for common women to become queen so how how do you balance that i guess oh well that was one of the hardest parts of this show i think Part of my journey in writing and as a character has been walking that fine line, Mm -hmm. but I was doing the BMI musical theater writing workshop a few years ago, and something one of the moderators said really struck me, which is that no matter who these people are, the protagonist, the antagonist, a side character, 
they have to be a complete human. And there's good with that and there's bad with that. So that I think has been my focus with Anne is making sure that she is a fully fleshed out, rounded out human with her flaws, but also with her wonderful qualities. And so I think that pushed aside that, that need to really think about, okay, is she being a pawn? Is she being used here? Is she doing something miraculous? She, we're just telling her story. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's no doubt that she was heavily put upon by her family or by outside influences and, of course, by Henry. But she still did these things. And that shows a lot of not only guts, but also you, you can't be someone who's hated and accomplish what she accomplished. Right. Yeah. And you can't be someone who's just a pawn and who doesn't have any kind of agency and still do what she was able to do and would have done if it hadn't, if she had been able to have a son. Yes, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Although I do wonder if, if their relationship would have stayed positive, even with a son. We haven't even talked about you and who you are. Oh, (laughs) Here's this guy. He wrote a musical. (laughs) So I want to make sure we get plugs for all of your work in here because you you haven't just written this musical. And I want to make sure people know Mm -hmm. how to find out more about it. And you're going to be at TudorCon. So hooray for that. So tell me more about, (laughs) about you and where people can find your work and everything like that. Absolutely. So I'm a New York State guy. I grew up upstate New York, Binghamton College. And so I started writing music when I was a kid. And then I tried my hand at playwriting in college and I was not very good at that. So I decided to put the two together and see if I could write some musical theater. Um, I'd always been performing since elementary school and I loved that and I knew I wanted to keep going with that. So since college, I've been writing musicals and performing in musicals. My very first original musical was actually my honors project at Geneseo. And not only did I write the book, Music and Lyrics, at a time when I didn't really know what I was doing, but then uh, I had to stage it as well. So I was the director and the musical director and producer. It was crazy. It was a crazy time. But then that show, which is called Pick Love, Moved on to uh, the Rochester Fringe Festival in 2012. And from then on in, I was kind of hooked with writing musical theater and I wanted to learn more. Mm -hmm. So I went to the BMI Musical Theater Writing Workshop in New York City. I did that for two years as a lyricist. And I met a whole bunch of people who I now collaborate with on other projects, including my uh, writing partner, I have a composer for The Legend of Sleepy Hollow. It's an adaptation. Mm. And that had an open workshop for the first time this past year. And so we're still working on that. Uh, Because of my family's baton twirling connection, I'm writing a musical comedy based off that as well with a different collaborator. So I try to wear as many hats as possible. That's awesome. So King's Legacy is me, book, music, and lyrics. This one is definitely my baby the one i've been working on for uh the longest i think yeah but you can find out all the information on my website which is michaelraddy.com r-a-d-i 
and that'll show you all of what I'm doing performance-wise and all the work I do on Long Island. Oh, I, I teach musical theater and I teach voice on Long Island throughout the year, and then I've been performing it in the summers. And yeah, oh, and of course, all the information for the musical on the website, which is thekingslegacymusical.com. And so this is opening in August, right? Um, yes. August upstate. 22nd. August 22nd. Mm-hmm. That's the anniversary of my first date with my husband. Well, what a way to celebrate. You want to come see a show? <laughs> I know, right? So August 22nd, and it's in upstate New York, right? Yes. Uh, Western New York, Finger Lakes area. It's Naples, New York, which is this beautiful little vacation town. It's absolutely gorgeous. I have worked at this theater, Bristol Valley Theater, it's wine country. It's a delightful place to be. And the work here is stunning. So I was super thrilled when uh, I had brought them the idea of doing the first production. They were like, yeah, that sounds great. Let's do it. That's, <laughs> so, that's awesome. I trust you. You are wonderful people. I know it's going to be fantastic. Oh, that's awesome. That's so great. So anybody who's in that area should definitely go check it out in August. Um, and then you're going to be at TudorCon doing some of the songs. So that's yes. very exciting. So what do you think makes this so popular? How, why is the musical theater world just catching on to Henry VIII and to Anne Boleyn? That is an excellent question. I don't really know. Okay. I will say, and so it's not just Six. Six is the one that has the most, I think, visibility right now. But there are a couple other shows being written about this topic now, too, that have started in the past maybe two years. And I, I really couldn't tell you why now is the time. Yeah. But I have not heard anything from any, any of the other shows except for Six. I can say that I think my show holds a unique place theatrically. Yeah. Because it is so rooted in classical musical theater sound. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, it still has contemporary sound to it as well. But um, between that and the fact that it is focused on specifically Anne's journey and celebrating women's accomplishments during that time, whereas Six is definitely more of like a concert mm-hmm. and they're very girl power, but they don't give a lot of the story. It reminds me of um, Newton and Leibniz both discovered calculus at the same exact time without even talking to each other, you know, and then there was this big argument over who actually was the first person to discover calculus. Was it Newton or Leibniz? And it's like independent at the same time. And it like when good ideas come, they hit multiple people at one time so that they bring, they come to life more, I suppose. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Plus, I mean, how many books are there? How many movie adaptations? How many TV shows? Like, there's a place for all of it, I think. And I love what you said on the website about how we've all been told that we can't do things and 
you know, having to fight back and having to, to fight for our place in the world. And that's really kind of what this is about from what I can tell. Right. And, and that's just such a beautiful message for people. So um, do you kind of want to give me some final takeaways based off of that for why people should follow this musical and go see it and get involved with you? Yeah. Well, I think we've all had that moment in our lives, maybe a big one, maybe a, a lot of small ones where, there's just something you want so badly and whether it's an authority figure telling you no or the world telling you no and you just decide, you know what, I'm going to do it anyway. And I feel that like that's something that resonates particularly with a lot of young people at the moment, mm-hmm. uh, particularly with people who work in any sort of uh, low paying or artistic industry. At some point, you just got to be yourself. And yeah. that's really what this show is about is be yourself and then hopefully you can navigate it in the way that you want to. And unfortunately that doesn't work out for Anne and Henry necessarily, but I think there's a lot of hope in the show because Queen Elizabeth the first, who knew that she would become what she was. Right. And that's the thing too. You never know, right? Success comes in lots of different ways that you might, you might never know. So being open to however it looks. Yeah, precisely. Yeah. Yeah. So beautiful. So many beautiful messages. <laughs> I am so excited that we spoke because, you know, in five years when you're on Broadway, I'm going to say he was on my podcast. And <gasps> Oh, you'll, you'll be at opening night, of course. Okay. <laughs> I will totally be there. I will totally be there. Thank you so much for taking the time Thank to you. hear all of this. And uh, cool. <laughs> For 20 years we sat and watched As Henry played and ran a book And his fun weren't done until he bled Until he found a girl to bring to bed His daddy left him lots of gold And Henry spent it on a whim Guess our king can be a simple bloke For there's no question, Henry went for broke Some might think it improper that now he has entered copper, which makes our dear prince a pauper. And that's the king's legacy. Oh, that's good. That's very good. Thank you so much to Michael for sharing his experience with writing The King's Legacy. I just love a collaboration like this, like tutors and musicals. It just goes together, right? Like peanut butter and jelly or peanut butter and ice cream or peanut butter and pretty much anything. (laughs) So listen, if you listen to this and you're excited and you want to come to TutorCon and see it live and all of that, please go to englandcast.com slash TutorCon 2019 and we will see you in Pennsylvania in October or we'll see you digitally online. And I will be back again in about two weeks. I'm going to do an episode on fools, tutor fools, because that's going to be fun, right? (laughs) All right. I will speak with you soon.